Welcome to the very first episode of Engineering Reimagined. In this podcast series, we will explore how, like engineers, people from all walks of life are reimagining the future and their leadership roles in it. Today's interview is between two friends who also happen to be icons of Australian industry. Guillaume Swigers, the outgoing CEO of global engineering and infrastructure advisory company Oricon. He's considered one of Australia's pioneering leaders, following his 12-year tenure as CEO of Deloitte Australia. After immigrating from South Africa, Guillaume earned a reputation as a leader who can reposition large organizations in times of enormous change. He helped elevate Deloitte to become the country's second largest consulting firm and has led the charge at Oricon as the company reimagines its future. Guillaume Brahimi is Australia's top French chef. Leaving France at the age of 23, Guillaume has owned and run multiple restaurants across the country, including the iconic Guillaume at Benelong restaurant at the Sydney Opera House. He has also appeared on cooking shows ranging from MasterChef to Iron Chef, published multiple media columns and recipes, and currently has three bistros under his belt in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth. Throughout a career in the kitchen and beyond, Guillaume has successfully navigated the constantly changing and often fickle culinary world to not only remain relevant, but often lead the next trend. And certainly the next generation of chefs who are reimagining the food industry like never before. Guillaume and Guillaume commence their chat in the kitchen of Guillaume's restaurant, where he explains the focus of his bistro approach, before heading into the studio to record this special conversation. Now, what would be your um, most popular dish in this restaurant, seeing that we're standing in the kitchen right now? Steak frites. Steak frites? Yeah, it's nothing wrong with a beautiful Rancho Valley steak with some uh, homemade chips and a Bearnaise sauce. It works. Mm -hmm. And you know, like not many chefs know how to do a Bearnaise sauce. Mm -hmm. You know, we made one in, uh, in Burgundy together, yeah. but like it's about uh, the basic, how to make an Hollandaise sauce, how to make a Bearnaise sauce, how to make a chicken jus, how to make a terrine. It's a bistro, so what's the philosophy of a bistro? Well, it's a food you would like to eat at home, but you don't have time to eat. And it's also the food you always have on the menu, roast chicken, steak frites, steak tartare, terrine, smoked salmon, so all of the classic. Okay, Guillaume, we've known each other for 12 years. And, Already, yeah. yeah, and in twelve years, I have never given you business advice, but you've given me a lot of great meals. So today, we want to do something very different and just explore leadership and what's the lessons people in business can learn from somebody that runs such a successful um, restaurant empire as you do. Why did you become a chef? Firstly, school was very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. um, I come from. Uh, uh, where France, uh, when you're good academically, France system is fantastic. But if you got some issue, I'm dyslexic. Uh, it was horrible. I actually uh, don't have one good memories of school. And the other day, I was taking my kids to school, and they're all laughing in the car. I was saying, "What's funny?" And they look at me like I was like I said, "What do you mean, Dad?" I said, "Well, you're laughing." And my little uh, girl, who's eleven now, said to me, "Well, we're going to school." <laughs> And I say, you're laughing and you're going to school? I say, yeah, it's fun. It's good. And I was like, my God. And I reflected in the car. I say, no one, I don't have that memories. And so I re when I was 13 and a half, the principal called my dad and said, 
you know, we need to find an answer here because it's, it's no point he stay at school. And I said to my dad, well, uh, I want to cook. Uh, I come, uh, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother is a great cook and I used to spend more time in the kitchen with her than at the table with my parents. Um, and also a very important part is school being so hard for me. I used to come home after a bad day at school and opening the door and smelling the roast chicken. I was saying to myself, okay, 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 okay. T school is horrible, but look, the chicken is there. <laughs> Uh, and that was like a, I know it sounds strange, but it was like a little bit of a security blanket for me, mm -hmm. the smell of the food and the cooking at my house. So it doesn't matter how bad I was doing at school, there was always this beautiful smell who was saying, everything's okay, you have two out of 20 math, but the chicken is still roasting in the oven. And, um, and the weekend was, you know, Friday, it's great, it's a weekend, and... If I was counting the weekend as meal. So, you know, breakfast, okay, we've got so many more meals before I go back to school. And the Sunday night was the last meal before I go back to school. And and after that, when I was at Provision, uh, I used to have the same, the security blanket of, you know, doesn't matter what's happening in the world, uh, sitting at the table with my parents and sibling, everything was okay. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting that you talk about your kids laughing going to school, learning takes place when you're playful and you're having a good time yeah um you know i i, I think i mean, laughing is so important it's so good and and you know it's hard i, I, I come from a, so when i decide you know i wanted to be a, a cook you know I, cooking was hard uh, there was no laugh in the kitchen um i started from the bottom so i spent more time cleaning up the stove and peeling onion and carrots, then seeing the plate, the achievement of your work. But um, um, I never give up, and 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 I was, you know, it's it's so important to have a, um, a, you know, my parents were fantastic. You know, they backed me up, and so many times I cry when I was fifteen. You know, I was working seventy hours at fifteen, and my dad used to come and pick me up, drive me home, and you know, took care of me. And I, I can't recall how many times I cry in the car and saying, I don't want to do it anymore. I just mm -hmm. want to go back to school and have school holidays and all of that. My dad said, no, no, you need to keep going. You're making an investment for your future. And this phrase really print in my mind. And every time a young kid started in my kitchen, you know, I say, I know it doesn't mean a lot right now. But whatever you do, you don't like think about you making an investment for your future. And and I've been carrying this line mm -hmm. forever, and I'm still telling it at 50. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting. But with the bistro, you have an open-plan kitchen. Yeah. And I can look in, and it's quite a happy kitchen. Yeah, it is now. Well, I'm, I'm getting a little bit softer with my old age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, we have to change. You know, like you... You can't be the same. You have to progress. And what I realized is, you know, when I was at Robichon and Paul Joel Robichon passed away uh, not so long ago, a few months ago, but like we were working so hard. We were probably the best restaurant in the world. You know, 50 seat book six months in advance, a table of two was a table of two. You don't put a third person. Table of four is four. And we used to do 50 people for lunch, 50 people for dinner, Monday to Friday, close on the weekend. It was the pinnacle of perfection. 
but there was not many rewards or thank you or well done. Mm -hmm. And I was meet, I meet all my friends who work there at the time and they're all running free Michelin star now from Eric Repair to Frédéric Canton in Paris, Eric Repair, Le Bernardin in New York. And we were talking and we said, what about if we did get a tap on the back or a smile or mm -hmm. well done, thank you? How better we would it be? How better the restaurant would it be? Because we were giving 150% and the food we're doing was amazing, but that was without any compliment or without tap on the back. And that really marked me that. And I thought, you know, I know for some leader it's hard to say well done mm -hmm. to staff and congratulate them because people think you're getting paid so you should do the great job. But you know what? It's priceless. A, a thank you and a well done and I can't do it without you. It's worth more than you think. I just never understand why leaders don't know that, don't, don't understand that. It is costs nothing to say thank you. I think there's an ego part of it. Yeah. I think there's an ego. Us in my industry, uh, the ego is enormous. But also what I realize is there's not enough staff. So how do you do to keep your staff? Well, it's pretty simple. What things you want to do? Condition of work. You know, you spend more time at work than at home. And and if it's not, you don't enjoy where you spend most of your time, mm -hmm. you're not going to be productive. You're not going to enjoy what you do and you leave. And training, people leave training. You don't progress. You want to keep your team so the team progress with you, not regress mm -hmm. because you have to train again. Now, we're in such a different industry, but I finish every one of my emails to our staff with, I hope you're having fun at work today, or remember to have fun. Without sarcasm. Yeah. Okay, I, I just want always, to make sure. No, no, no sarcasm. <laughs> I, because I always say to them, if you're in a job that you don't have fun and don't enjoy, find another one, because you can't spend your life in, uh, being unha unhappy at work. Yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. But it's, you know, it's a hard, it's, we, my industry is so tough because, you know, like this week we probably cooked for between all the restaurants close to 4,000 people and you just need couple complaints who ruin my day. My big, perfection, perfection is the hardest. I wish I was not such a perfectionist sometimes. I think, you know, and I say it with big, I think perfection is a, is a disease because uh, when, when all you want is achieve perfection is... It's horrible because you just can't achieve it. Although I am glad that you're a perfectionist because I have had some of my best French meals in your various restaurants. Yeah, yeah. No, it, but you, know, you need to find the balance. You know, yeah. everybody says balance is so important. So what's perfection? Well, in my mind, perfection is do I cook better than I cooked last year and the year before? So it's progressing and getting better. Mm -hmm. But it's so hard. And and that's why, you know, I tried to move from fine dining because I thought fine dining was too hard in, in Australia because you don't get the reward you will get in Europe, in Paris especially. But, you know, I'm as perfectionist when I roast a chicken. <laughs> so it's just it's just hard. Um, and, and you know what? We're not perfect. And sometimes you fail. Sometimes you overcook something. Sometimes, but that's okay. You, I say to my team, you know what? You need to have the bad night to know how good are the good night. I'm talking in the kitchen, you know. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm a big believer on sports, you know. Um, I've been lucky to work with the French rugby team and, and, you know, you're as good as your last game in rugby and that's so true in the kitchen as well. Now, you've had your own restaurant for 30 years mm. and they've all been excellent for 30 years. But you're always innovating and doing new things. What drives you to keep on trying new things and what lessons do you learn to do? Well, you've got it? young people behind you, push you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you, you know, like we... I'm, I'm a classical French chef, you know. I want my food to be classical because I think uh, French food is a pinnacle and it's a foundation of cooking. Uh, but you need to find new way, you know. You need to to keep pushing the, bad, the boundary because if you don't, you will see people passing you. So I want to go back to when you left France. And I remember you telling me that you went to your boss and said you're going to Australia. I went to see Tell Joel, the story. Yeah. So I went to see Joël Robichon, and it was hard because I was there for four and a half years. And, you know, you don't leave Robichon. You don't leave Robichon to work for Alain Ducasse or, you know, I was one of the Robichon's boys. So you normally stay with him forever. And after that, you go open a restaurant with his blessing, and it's that's the way you work in France. <clears throat> but when I said to him I was going to Australia, he looked at me. He didn't actually. He said, never heard of his restaurant. <laughs> so, but he's never, he never come to Australia. Unfortunately, I invited him so many times, he just said too far. I have eaten at so many of his restaurants. He is a brilliant chef too. Yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. What role do you think reality TV like MasterChef played getting people to understand food from their couches? Uh you know, it play a big role to get the chefs become more exposed to so celebrities' part. Um, you know, it, it is reality TV, so there's a lot behind the scene, and it's about rating. Um, at the moment, the fashion is, you know, my kitchen rule, master chef. Who knows where it will be in 10 years? You know, I think it's, at the moment, yeah, it's very fashionable. Um, everybody now is a food expert. Um, is that a good thing for my industry to an extent? Because it's great because we can expose more um, the great produce we've got, the farmers, the growers, and also we can push more. We've got more power with a message now. When a chef puts something on Instagram, you know, you get thousands of People like it. Now, technology, things like Uber Eats that is take, going into restaurants and technology. Do you see a lot of technology impact on your type of French restaurant or not? Yeah, I'm very happy to use Uber Eats for people to pick up a meal in my restaurant because keeping in mind the most, the most, um, what's killing my industry, the cost of running a restaurant. So if I can sell some takeaway food, it's, it's a no-brainer. Hmm. But that means people are going less to restaurants. Now, I've obviously, over the 12 years, met several of your staff, yeah. and I have been so impressed with them. In our business, we teach our leaders to say, you've got to take people where they ought to go, not where they want to go. You've clearly taken a lot of people where they ought to go. What's the techniques you use to get people to aspire to that level of service and that level of perfection? Well, I think you, you know, you try to lead by example. You know, and also, uh, and and also, I'm trying on that. Not micromanage. You mm-hmm. know, if you employ a manager, let him manage. That's what he's there for. You know, uh, it's very important. And I always use the <laughs> the rugby field. You know, you got boundaries. 
So you let them play between the boundaries. So they can be creative, but they know. You know, my chef in all my restaurants put special on the menu. I'm not going to have to check them. They've been with me for a long time. They know what the DNA of the menu is. Let them have some fun. So it's a freedom within a framework. Yeah, it's a freedom with a with a very close eye on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, if somebody wanted to become a chef today, what would be the advice you would give? Them? Oh my God, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, Guillaume, it's um, you have to be passionate. Firstly, because you work hours when people. Well, listen, doesn't matter which part of the world you are, <laughs> people eat lunch and dinner, and on the weekend. So if you want to be a chef, you have to be ready to work when people have fun. Okay? Yeah. And, and, but if you're passionate about it, it's one of the best satisfaction you get. You, you, you work to make people happy. You know, like when, when people come to my restaurant and say, we have a great meal, thank you, it was great. That makes me happy. Best satisfaction in my restaurant is to see the plate coming back from the kitchen when they're empty. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I would recommend to, to do few work experience, you know, to go, depends the age, but like go to a restaurant and see what it is, you know, what's a normal day in the kitchen because it is not master chef. Now, most restaurants, and you included, have had signature dishes. Yeah. Why is it important to be famous for something? Well, I think you don't create a signature dish the people who have it, who frequent your restaurant, will decide on it. So the market decides that you, absolutely. you are famous. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. It'd be too easy if you just have to, you know, how much? <laughs> now, this this whole thing came about the, me ch- um, sharing the story about the peeling, everybody peeling potatoes in the kitchen yep. and downing tools. And now for the story that inspired today's interview and caused Guillaume to think about the parallels between the kitchen and the boardroom. A few months ago, Guillaume and his wife had the privilege of joining four other couples for an intensive but fun French wine appreciation and cooking course with Guillaume for a week in Burgundy, France. Guillaume makes the best potato mash in Australia and Guillaume was excited when he told the group they would learn how to make it. After boiling the unpeeled potatoes, Guillaume brought the kitchen to a halt so that everyone could help peel the very hot potatoes. Guillaume explained that due to the popularity of this mash, his restaurants consume more than 600 kilograms of potatoes per week. As peeling a vast quantity of very hot potatoes is a huge and tough job, the tradition is for the whole kitchen to come to a standstill when it's time for this job to be done. Every person in the kitchen, no matter their seniority, including Guillaume, then peels potatoes until the job is completed. In his opinion, it is the only way to make light of the toughest job. Guillaume was very surprised by this act. He later checked with Guillaume's head chef if this really happened and he confirmed that the story was in fact true. But he added some more. He explained that Guillaume was a very respected boss not only because he is well recognized as a master of his craft, but also because he's willing to do any task. During initiation, Guillaume employs almost 130 chefs every year. He explains to the newcomers that he will never ask them to do a job that he would not be willing to do himself. Back to Guillaume and Guillaume. The mashed potato. 
Yeah, and now I, I would be curious to know how many people from Oricon has now eaten in your restaurant because everybody now wants to Good. go eat the mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's really They don't beautiful. come to help us to do it. What's the role of collaboration in the kitchen? Well, the idea of that is because anything painful may as well it's done quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I can promise you, you give a, bo- a big box of peas to peel to one person, he will spend the whole day doing it. You get eight people on it, it's a 10 minutes job. Because there is a competition, there is a quick, you know, and put a time on it and mm-hmm. make it a game, okay? How long can we take to do that? Let's try to do it in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Playful with serious intent. But Absolutely. Always works. Absolutely. You've turned 50. Yeah. What's next? Um, well, I've, I think it's 51. <laughs> uh, you know what's next? Um, I see my children growing very quickly. Um, I wouldn't mind spending a bit more time with them. Um, it's been pretty busy since the age of 14, you know, nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. So um, I just want to find a better balance. You know, I think these days it's not to work 80 hours, but try to do um, the amount you're doing, but making it... Like, I don't go to work if I don't have to be at work. Uh, I know it's hard to express that. Is uh, If I'm at work, I want to do as much as I can and live as quick as I can. Uh, just being more um, efficient. So earlier in the podcast, you said you became a chef because you were struggling at school and you loved food and food was a passion. So now time has gone on. Has your why changed? What what drives you now, and what what what? How did you reimagine your business because of how you have changed? Ah, uh, you know, I, I I love having full restaurants. You know, like, I, and I love having a successful business. Um, um, I'm employing people. I'm teaching people. I'm training people. Um, there's nothing better than seeing young chefs opening their own restaurant after being with you for many years. Um, I learned a lot because, you know, uh, firstly, I learned second language, English. <laughs> um, and I just love the whole part of supporting the economy. You know, I buy so much ingredients uh, from from milk to, to cows to beef to lamb to fish to vegetable to wine. Uh, it's it, I love you know doing a contribution to the to the great country where we're living. Um, I still get a lot of pleasure by going to work, mm-hmm. um, and like I said before, you know I'm in a position now. Um, if I didn't like what I'm doing, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't. I don't go to my restaurant if I don't want to. So. Um, I don't want to become lazy and saying I don't want to go to work. So I'm challenging myself by finding new, how can I improve my business? What else can we do? And, you know, sometimes I just go in the kitchen and play around with ingredients. Sometimes um, I look at uh, the P&L and say, how can we get better without decreasing the quality of what we do? What are we, you know, what have we done uh, who's not right, you know. So there's a challenge all the time, and I love it. Well, you say you because you like teaching. I After spending seven days in, 
in markets and in the kitchen with you, I can tell you you're a bloody good um, teacher. Uh, I really enjoy the way that uh, you teach. You know, in, you know, Guillaume, thank you. Thank you so much. But, you know, I really hope then my generation of chefs, the day we, we retire, if we retire, um, you know, the day I retired and a young kid come in the kitchen, I hope that would not be the same kitchen than when I arrived when I was 13. Mm -hmm. Meaning it would be such a better place to be. Mm -hmm. Any case, Guillaume, you've had a big impact on Oricon by telling me or teaching me how to peel potatoes and everybody working Quick. together. Quick. Quick. So, and today you've been incredibly generous with this podcast. So I just want to say thank you very much. It's oh, my, been my an pleasure, absolute Gil. pleasure. And my I know pleasure. people will enjoy listening to this. My pleasure. My mm. pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and stay tuned for the next. Let a friend or colleague know about the show. They can find it by searching for Engineering Reimagined wherever they listen to podcasts.